welcome to the Acro Chats podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the practice of acrobatics in the global acro community. I'm Sean. And I'm Emily. We're partners and teachers based out of New York City, and we love acro. Each week, we dive into acro topics, including training tips and methodology, happenings in history of the practice, and interviews with acro practitioners from around the world. Come hang with us as we explore the world of acro and its global community. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are. It's Acro Chats with Emily and Sean, live from Warrior Bridge Studios. Well, recorded live for your later listening. I know Emily was about to correct me, but because I made that same... uh, Like every week, basically. (laughs) It's like Groundhog's Day here. We're very groundhogs and poking our head out of Warrior Bridge. And Tomorrow's Groundhog Day. Would you look at that? <laughs> Toxitani Phil, Mm-mm, we yeah. salute you. Well, we're covered in snow right now, so I think we're going to have winter for a while. <laughs> it's okay. Winter's good. We don't need climate change. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> on, a, uh, on a more depressing note, no, uh, we have to talk about acro. We get to talk about acro, in fact. So, well, not, well, yeah, acro, <laughs> but movement and acrobatic movement. Today's topic is lunging and squatting. These come up like everywhere, basically. Um, it's almost like you use them to be a human. <laughs> um, kind of every movement practice has you know, every movement lineage has some sort of like prescribed type of squat or lunge or some like sequencing of squatting or lunging. But um, yeah, as Sean said, it's also very much just part of functional movement. Um, Every time you climb the stairs, you're doing some lunges. Yeah. If we want to be like, just like kind of the most basic about it, anytime you're walking, you're doing a lunge you're switching between right leg and left leg lunge. Don't overthink it, but like walking (laughs) and then like running. Running is also a lunge. Every time you stand up from your chair. You're squatting. Every Every, time you sit down. (laughs) Yeah, so you know, sitting down, standing up, walking, running. Sometimes you go sideways. Stair climbing, yeah. These are our squats (laughs) and our lunges. But also when we go into like uh sports um well like you know even if we look at like the world of movement as movement with three o's um squat is like a technique or within like yoga squat becomes like a practice um or within martial arts uh there's also lots of uh, squatting a lot of lunging also in lifting you know, powerlifting, it's like there's a very specific way to do these things. Yeah, so you go into like functional fitness training, like lifting either dumbbells, they can be overhead or by your side. We had uh, our whole conditioning for acro where we talked about different lifting variations, but you know, lunging is a functional movement uh, within like holding something overhead uh, because it adds stability. It's a slightly staggered like squatting stance so we would think about like squatting generally being um well you can have like bilateral squats so the two-legged squat and then you could have unilateral squats a one-legged squat 
Um, so we challenge our legs in like kind of a down and up movement primarily. Yeah, I mean, if we want to sort of differentiate a lunge and a squat, <clears throat> a lunge is like your two legs are doing different things, one of which is doing a squat, basically. <laughs> um, well, where I got where I confused myself was what about like one-legged squats though, like a pistol squat. Yeah, but yeah, I get yeah. a but lunge. That's not would, a lunge, right? Yeah, <laughs> a lunge would be with the back with your other leg connected to the floor behind you. Yeah. Um, or like out to the side. Usually, if you cross your leg behind you, we would still put that into the squat category because it's not going to really hold all that much weight. <clears throat> yeah. But then even within squats, you can have a flat-footed squat uh, or a heel-lifted squat. Emily, what would you say the common element of all squats is? No pressure. Squats. Um, hip flexion and knee flexion mm, almost always. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're basically sitting. Um, you're making a sitting shape with your body. Uh, and again, it could be... It could be on both legs, it could be on one leg, um, but that kind of directionality is what defines the squat. And then what defines the lunge is one leg is doing that and the other leg is doing something different, either behind or to the side. So it's more of a, it's like a bilateral versus unilateral kind of, or symmetrical versus asymmetrical kind of thing. So there are definitions out there, but part of the fun of this show, is this a show? Yeah. Is we get to make Program. up our own, <laughs> we get to make up our own definitions of these things. Well, you're listening because you want to know what we think, so. <laughs> yeah. So another way you could think of a lunge is one leg is bent and one leg is straight. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I would, uh. But then there are like 90-90 lunges also, mm -hmm. shit. <laughs> but I was thinking about when you're like, almost all squats have a hip flexion and a knee flexion. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, what about a sissy squat? So a sissy squat mm -hmm. is like an open hipped uh, squat that comes primarily from like... Your knees travel forward and your heels lift. Yeah. And your chest leans back. But in theory, yeah. And there's gonna be a lot of like toe flexion in it. Because, uh, or toe extension. extension. <laughs> yeah, your, your toes are going to get, like, folded pretty deep, but, like, your ankle doesn't necessarily need to, uh, your ankle, you know, it'll go better if your ankle flexes pretty good. But the uh, sissy squat is, like, a heels off the ground kind of squat variation where the hips stay more open. So, because uh, these broad categories of movement are so functional in our daily lives, so pervasive in our daily lives. Um, they show up in different movement practices and they get practiced in different movement practices, um, which is really interesting, I think, because, um, you know, just as a physical therapist, uh, it's kind of an interesting concept to me to like practice in a very specific way things that our bodies do anyway you know um so but like martial arts and dance um and yoga they will all have like a very uh detailed approach to a lot of these different shapes and they'll call them different things and use different vocabulary yeah i think uh, a nice 
a good one to like kind of riff on, that's what this is all about, is our deep squat. So this would be what I, I've never witnessed this, but like I, I believe it to be true that this is how a lot of people <laughs> poop in other parts of the world. You've never witnessed it? I've, I've, <laughs> never, I've never been to those parts of the world and okay. I have not sought out videos of the practice, <laughs> okay. but I, I believe it to be true. Um, but like a deep squat would be also sometimes, some people will call that a primal squat, um, ass to grass squat. Um, but this is a, for a lot of people, this is a very easy resting position, but for some people, it is a very uh, not accessible position for, there's a variety of possibilities why. But if you look at other countries besides like the West, if you go to like East Asia, um, and I've seen, I have seen videos of people squatting, just like hanging out, like sitting for the bus. And I know people myself that like a squat's just very comfortable for them. And you know, it's not just, it's not like an ethnicity thing. It's just like an upbringing thing in many ways. Like I know, I know one of the whitest people I know, he, uh, he has a great deep squat just cause he lived in Japan for like a decade. And that's, she spent a lot of time in a squat. <clears throat> Yeah. So damn white. That <laughs> um, so, uh, but when it comes to sort of codifying it into like practices, um, you know, in yoga, all of the warrior stances are lunges. Um, <clears throat> there's different squats in yoga, like, you know, malasana is how a deep squat is called. Um, well, malasana is the one that you like reach your- Wrap your hands around your heels. Yeah, so your heels are off the ground. <clears throat> it's like making yourself into like a really rounded back. But it's like, it's like the lowest of squats in a way. <laughs> Forehead um, and heels on the ground. Is there, so and then in dance, there's like all of the plies basically are, are sort of different kinds of squats, but then some of them are in an asymmetrical stance so that would be more like a lunge so like fourth position is kind of a lunge in dance um and second position is kind of like horse stance in martial arts you know so they kind of there's a lot of crossover between all these different practices and how they describe them yeah and and it's interesting <laughs> because there's not that many of these things there's not that many positions that your legs can i mean there's kind of endless variation possible and like little tweaks that you can make to like make it a slightly different lunge Is there but a like a named position for like a second position or a horse stance in yoga sometimes people call it like a goddess pose oh, right, right. goddess squat yeah. but like you know like modern yoga is uh <clears throat> i'll say specifically like standing poses modern yoga is like very modern it uh <laughs> yeah. it largely is like just like the last hundred years there are certain like yoga poses that are like way older like some of the arm balances like the peacock pose or like the headstand um and like a lot of the seated uh lotus postures and like even like a lot of the crazier variations and like behind the head those are kind of like old school type yoga poses from like a yoga you probably wouldn't want to practice <laughs> Um, but a lot of like the more like poses like goddess po goddess <laughs> or even like the warriors, those are much more modern. Yeah. I mean, you can go to a yoga class today and, um, there's likely to be a shape that is in the sequence that 
someone added, you know, within the last couple of years, basically. Um, but they all are, everything is starting to influence each other also, so. Yeah, so yoga, know. I think, took a lot of these things from martial arts and from uh, dance. Uh, so like martial arts, the lunge, uh, like the warrior leg position, uh, shows up in a whole bunch of different martial arts, uh, specifically like kind of the Japanese and Chinese style martial arts. I would, I'll just Korean, but that's also based off of the Japanese martial arts. And But there's many East Asian martial arts uh, that have the, like walking stance, front stance, um, where it's a warrior pose, it's a lunge. If you think about it, like if you're gonna throw a punch or if you're setting up to like brace yourself or if you're preparing like a kick, um, if you're doing a symmetrical thing with both of your legs, you're less stable, right? Like you're more easily knocked over. So having a staggered stance, like one leg slightly forward, one leg slightly back, um, it just kind of sets you up to generate more torque or to be less easy to knock over. Yeah, it also hides, uh, hides some of those organs makes you a narrower thing to strike yeah. but um some martial arts are more squared off like boxing is a very tall squared off martial art but they still use that lunging motion in the punch so like you can think of it's a rear hand punch uh your back heel winds up kind of lifting as your back leg internally rotates and hip extends and that's kind of how you generate rotational power in a punch but a, a front arm punch in a staggered stance would kind of be shifting the weight. Um, the shift weight can still shift forward, but it's uh, the rotation is the other direction. So it's kind of like the difference between um, a revolve twist and an open twist in a lunge. Yeah. So get a little more technical here. Um, starting with a squat, uh, the shape is. <clears throat> hip flexion, knee flexion. So hip flexion means your thigh is coming towards your chest. Um, knee flexion means your knees are bending. And then the other really big factor is ankle dorsiflexion in a deep squat. So that means your shin is traveling forward over your toes. Yeah. And let's well, say for, for the sake of discussion for now, let's talk about like the symmetrical squat stance. Yeah. So when we think about like the ankle dorsiflexion part of it, uh, it would be how far your shin or potentially you could think of it as like your knee goes forward with your heel on the ground would be kind of like how we would see how much uh, dorsiflexion you have. So ideally, if you want to be able to do a deep squat, you're going to be able to have your heel on the ground and your knee is going to be able to go several inches forward past your toes. Um, and if you can't do that, then you, you'll be more limited in how low you'll be able to squat with your heels on the ground, which, uh, you know, can be modified by just putting something underneath your heels. So you have a little bit of a aid to your uh, squat and that can be, that might do the whole trick and be fine for you. This is why people wear lifting shoes, um, you know, so if some Olympic lifters um, <clears throat> wear shoes that have like a slight heel lift, which decreases the amount of ankle dorsiflexion required. Um, but also depending on what you're doing, your activity, you can lift your heels off the ground. And that might be a highly functional thing to do in that moment. So let's say 
one one example I think of is like someone's going to land a uh, like a kip up, like the uh, kind of like you think like kung fu movie. Someone gets knocked on their back and they spring themselves back up to their feet like a badass. <laughs> um, in that position, uh, if you're able to land with your feet flat on the floor and bring your knees forward, you'll be able to kind of like peel yourself up into like a standing position. But another alternative might be if you don't have that ankle dorsiflexion, you have use more of a sissy squat movement and you allow your heels to lift up and you pull yourself up. I mean, that's, that's pretty extreme because the weight of the person is like laying back. So you need a lot of forward from the knees to pull you up. Um, <clears throat> so I would say for most people, they're gonna end up lifting their heels uh, to finish standing in a kip up. Yeah, <clears throat> depending on how deep of a back bend you have. Also how high you're able to kip yourself up. Like mm -hmm. I was actually really amazed by one of our, uh, shout out to Jorge, one of our work studies at mm -hmm. Warrior Bridge and Cirque House. Um, we were, we were training at Cirque House and my friend Chase was like going, doing some kip up stuff and then Jorge gives it a try and he does it perfectly. <laughs> but he doesn't do it like shitty. He, he lands like completely standing up and it's like, oh, nice. Mm -hmm. You do that. He's like, oh, I just tried it. It's like, yeah. dude, <laughs> what? come on. But usually when you see people do a, a, their first kip ups, they land in either like a low squat um, and then they're able to stand forward. Or like when I was doing my first kip ups, uh, I landed, um, I kind of pulled my feet more underneath me and my knees kind of went quite a bit forward past my toes, but I was training a lot of sissy squats at the time and it felt fine. I just like could kind of casually stand up out of a sissy squat. <clears throat> so it's all, uh, it's not just about like uh, flexibility, it's also a lot about function. So, and function has a lot to do with like having strength and control. Um, there's several other things that are going to sort of affect your ease and comfort in a squat. Um, ankle dorsiflexion is important. Uh, Can we just talk about like what controls ankle dorsiflexion? <clears throat> it's literally just the next thing out of my mouth. <laughs> We're in tune. Um, so we don't really think about this muscle group much because it's pretty size-wise is pretty insignificant, but the muscle on the front of your shin is called your anterior tibialis. Um, when you're just like sitting with your feet out in front of you, anterior tibialis dorsiflexes your foot, so it kind of pulls your toes towards your face. But when you're standing, anterior tibialis pulls your shin forward over your toes. Um, so using that muscle and kind of having strength in that muscle to pull you forward enough um, is what can allow you to get low in your squat. If you sit in a low squat for a while and your shins get tired, then you know maybe your dorsiflexion is a little tight and your anterior tib has to work hard. So why would your anterior tibialis be like not so strong? For one, you didn't know what it was. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So you might know what an anterior tibialis is, but I, until very recently, didn't really have like a really clear visual of how this muscle worked, like I kind of knew where it generally was located, but you have your tibia, your shin bone, um, the more prominent one, mm -hmm. and then just to the side of that, on the front, you have like a long muscle that is like the antagonist of your calf. 
Um, so we think of the calves because they're like all big and muscly and they get tight when you walk around, but your anterior tib is like kind of the other side of it. And most people's anterior tibs aren't going to be as strong, like have the a balanced amount of strength as their calves. Partly because we don't need it. I mean, walking around, um, and running and, you know, propelling yourself through space is mostly driven from like the back of your leg, which is where your calf is. Um, but it's like when we get into these ranges of motion where your shin has to travel much more forward that your anterior tip comes into play. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, like a deep squat should be a, uh, a not challenging position for people in theory, if we lived in a different world, perhaps, but like, there's kind of no use in uh, like being like, oh, everyone should have perfect hip and ankle mobility because it's our like human right. Like, yeah, maybe it was, but we were, if we want to be dramatic, we were deprived of that right by like being put in shoes and stuck at a desk. desk. And <laughs> but like, you know, it's not hopeless. We just have to like be a little bit more intentional about it. So like, you know, the it may take a little bit more training. Uh, of these muscle groups if they're like not as aware if you've ever had things like ankle sprains it's probably going to be like harder to access those muscles and ankle sprains are really common because like you know most sports involve like your legs <laughs> yeah um yeah so other things that come into play with squat is Certainly being able to tolerate deep knee flexion. Um, sometimes that can be an issue for some people. Uh, also, the more forward your knee goes, like the more deeply flexed um, we're getting. And hip flexion, so being able to bring your thigh towards your chest. And, you know, then we start to get into like the real nitty gritty of like your femur length, for instance, your femur length relative to your trunk. And then Ooh. whether whether you can keep your spine extended while your hip goes into flexion. So yeah. if you end up in a low squat where you're kind of like rounded over and you need to reach your arms forward to keep you there instead of sitting on your butt, um, there may be something going on with your hip flexion, femur length, spinal extension sort of complex. <laughs> so one way you might think about it is um, these things don't usually, if there's like a problem with your squat, it probably doesn't occur in isolation. It's probably like happening kind of all the way up the chain. So you can think like there's kind of like uh, spots in a squat that are kind of being stretched and there's spots in a squat that are being shortened so or shortened and lengthened. So the things that are being shortened um, are your anterior tib. Um, your hip flexors and your hamstrings are all being shortened. I mean, hamstrings is like shortening on one end and lengthening on the other end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go more into it, Emily. Well, I mean, it kind of depends how you're doing your squat. Um, if you're doing like a lifting style, like a, you know, weightlifting style squat where you're really trying to keep a little bit of anterior pelvic tilt and you're not dropping to the bottom, um, the proximal portion of your hamstring, the part that attaches to your pelvis is lengthening, but then your knees are flexing, your knees are bending. So that end of the hamstring is shortening. Yeah. So, you know, 
a way you may think about it is it, your hamstrings can do both knee flexion and hip extension. So they can like bend your knee and they can uh, do kind of a similar thing to your butt or your glutes and extend your hip and bring your leg behind you. So in a squat, your hamstrings have to do the part that pulls your butt close to your foot if your foot's on the floor. And then the other part has to allow itself to lengthen. Otherwise, it's not going to let your butt sit down. So bodies are complicated. <laughs> Moral of the story, bodies are complicated. Um, the other thing is, depending on what kind of squat you're doing, your adductor length may come into play. So especially if you're doing like a wider stance, um, you know, second, second position, goddess squat, horse stance, yeah. uh, your ability to get your knees wide can be affected by your adductors. Yeah, and also hip flexor strength. So because you're knees have been pulled forward, your butt has been pulled close to your feet, you now have to keep your torso close to your legs, otherwise you fall backwards. Right. So the hip flexors, they have to be strong. They have to like engage in a way that pulls you over your legs. And all of these things are gonna kind of operate in, in balance with each other. So like, let's say you have really great dorsiflexion and your knee can track quite far forward, uh, that means your femur or your thigh doesn't have to come as close to you at the bottom of your squat, right? So you don't really need as much hip flexion. You don't have to work as hard to keep your torso upright because your ankles just are super bendy. But if your ankles are stiffer, your knees can't go as forward, that means you need stronger hip flexion to keep yourself over your squat because your knees are up in your chest. And femur length also, you know, changes the balance of this and your torso length versus your legs. Um, and then also, are you holding weight on the front of your torso versus on the back of your torso? So what's the width of your stance? Like all of these things are going to affect the mechanics of the squat. There are so many things that affect <laughs> the mechanics of the squat. I think it's also like... I think we have to say it, there's actually like a lot of variation in like what your hip socket looks like oh, and yeah. your, in your the thigh bone or the head of the thigh bone, like the way that your, uh, do I try to use the words? Your acetabulum is your hip socket and the head of the femur fits inside of it. So that's the ball and socket joint. But the ball is at the end of like a little, uh, short section that becomes the main thigh bone, then uh, branches down and becomes the main thigh bone. How do I do, Emily? Pretty good. You have a femoral neck. Femoral neck, shit. <laughs> so the head of the femur, the neck of the femur, and then the, the length of the femur, which is like the long thigh bone. Um, but that little, that it turns a little corner there at the neck of the femur, um, and the way that it articulates into your pelvis from person to person can be super different. Um, and can you give an example of some people's hip socket, the acetabulum will face more anteriorly, kind of more towards the front of the body. And some people, the hip socket is going to face more laterally, like towards the sides of the body. So a way this might manifest is if someone's just naturally when they, if you tell them to squat down, 
they just put their feet together and they like drop down and their knees are together and their body is like leaned forward over their legs. That probably means that that their body kind of like is inclined to that. And that might be an example of like a hip socket and a hip and a thigh bone that kind of orient you just naturally when you go downwards in that shape. But if you have more of like a natural turnout, like if no one ever told you what to do and they said to just squat and you dropped into like a wide knees squat, we might imagine that, and your feet are fairly far apart, we might imagine that maybe your uh, hip sockets face more outwards. Yeah, and it'll also be affected by like what movement background you have, what you grew up doing. So flexibility is gonna be um, a big part of this or like range of motion like on at these joints. Uh, so there's a requirement of like length in the muscles as well in a squat. So there's a flexibility component as well as the strength component. So it starts all the way down at the soles of your feet. I mean, I'm not going to talk that much mm. about it because it kind of gets out of my league, but <laughs> like you have your plantar fascia and if your your fascia, which kind of runs all through, it runs in, oh God, sheets up the body. It kind of encompasses a lot, a lot of space and the general tension of your fascia has a lot to do with just kind of your general pliability as a human. Um, but you know, we can think the calf muscles need to lengthen because if they are overly tight, the ankle uh, can't dorsiflex, the knee can't go forward. We can think the quads have to have some mobility. Like if you can't bring your feet close to your butt because your quad wants to extend your knee, it's gonna make it harder on your uh, other stuff, your <laughs> hip flex, hamstrings, <laughs> proximal, distal hamstring. Well, the interesting thing is actually in a squat, pretty much every large muscle group is lengthening on one end and shortening on the other end. So like you need distal calf lengthening, proximal calf shortening for any flexion, uh, distal hamstring shortening, proximal hamstring lengthening, proximal quad shortening, <laughs> distal quad lengthening. So basically in a squat, everything is working eccentrically, in, concentrically in one direction and eccentrically in the other direction. So um, being able to handle that, if you're, especially if you're gonna add load, like if you're gonna lift a weight or a person, um, you know, I would say you gotta take care of the baseline mobility first. Yeah, and the biggest place I see the, uh, the deep squat mobility affected is the ankles. Um, you know, if you can bring your knee forward past your toes in a significant way, that's how you get people that can sit very comfortably in a squat. Now, like these things are all related, so if you don't have strong knee flexion or strong hip flexion, there's probably, you're probably not gonna have very good ankle dorsiflexion. Yeah, the other thing we, I mean, that applies a lot in like standing acro. Um, it's especially if like there's a big height difference between the base and the flyer, like the base being able to get low enough to get under a flyer um, to lift can be kind of challenging. Um, and it's certainly one of the harder things that bases have to do, I think, in standing acro. Um, it also comes up in L-basing, squat mobility issues. Uh, 
One of the things we see really commonly is if we ask a base to do a press, so if we ask them to bend their knees with the flyer on their feet, uh, some people's natural inclination is for the knees to kind of like stay in the center and be narrow. And that may just be unfamiliarity, but it may also be like, you don't naturally think of sending your knees wide because of how your hips are shaped or because of your flexibility. Yeah. And yeah, I'll just go with yeah on that one. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit about lunges uh, and a little bit about the anatomy of the lunge. Mm -hmm. So the front leg in a lunge can kind of play the broad spectrum of different types of squats. Um, so you can think like a 90-90 lunge or, okay, so a good, the best example of this would be kind of like a split squat. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost, it's in the name, but a split squat is a lunge where you're going to primarily focus on uh, the front leg being in a deep squat position. I think a lot of people actually don't consider the front leg in the lunge being like a limiting factor, but essentially it has to do all the things that a squat has to do. So your knees need to be able to, well, your ankle needs to be able to like dorsiflex to allow your shin to travel forward, depending on how long you're, so this is one of the big variations in a lunge is how far apart do you set your legs? And that's also a big variation in a squat, but we'll maybe go back <laughs> totally. to that. Um, but we can think like a, uh, a split squat would be trying to like find that deep ankle dorsiflexion, deep knee flexion, and um, also to some degree hip flexion. Um, in the front leg. In the front leg. Now, if you're having your body upright, you're going to be kind of primarily training the ankle and the knee. And I mean, also training the hip, but not in that deepest of range. So as we get longer in the lunge, the other thing that's like the big difference from a squat is your back hip is extending. So, you know, you could have your back leg sort of close and in, if you're doing the exercise called a split squat, your back foot could be elevated on something. So it's essentially just your front leg doing a half a squat. Um, or you start to reach the back leg farther back and now we're getting the back leg in hip extension, knee extension. And whether the heel is off the ground or not is, you know, a question of the variation you're doing. Yeah, so if you think about a 90-90 lunge, so the front knee at a 90 degree angle, back knee at a 90 degree angle. On the floor. On the floor. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the torso is vertical, then you would be kind of in like a neutral angle of hip extension, um, a neutral hip angle. Um, but this is actually, for most people, if you just like tell them to bring their body upright over their knee, they're gonna wind up arching their back like a decent amount. So the way you would like really test how much true hip extension someone has is you would ask them to find a posterior tilt. So this would be um, your tailbone tucking. You might think of it as the lowest part of your back rounding. So for a lot of people, this is not the easiest thing, Partly because of, again, modern lifestyle. We sit at desks and we drive cars. Um, and also the way that your hip is shaped. So if you're in a 90-90 and your front knee 
is 90 degrees. And then you tuck the tailbone, lengthen your lower back, and then try to be on top of your back knee, your back knee on the floor. Depending on your body, you may already feel a stretch in your, the front of your back leg hip. I do. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I always find this very interesting. Um, like you can stretch your hip flexor in almost any, uh, as long as your hips extended, your body can be in like literally like any shape. Like I could step my foot one foot behind me when I'm standing up and tuck my tailbone and find a hip flexor stretch. It's not going to be like the same amount of weight on it as if you like were in a really deep lunge. Um, but you know, it's a lot about intention of like, where are you trying to get the movement from? So functionally, we are going to want to get movement from a lot of different places. But the thing is like bodies will take the path of least resistance. So it's very likely that especially like if you live like a more sedentary, um, like lifestyle, if you work a more like a computer job, um, or a desk job, you're going to spend a lot of time in like a flexed hip position, maybe like even more of like a rounded forward sort of position. Just anatomically to note also the shape of the hip joint in the pelvis, it, it doesn't really go that for a lot of people. It doesn't go much past 15 degrees of hip extension, maybe 20, um, depending on like if you have a shallow acetabulum. But what that means is in a very low, deep lunge, if the leg is really far behind you, the back leg is really far behind you, and you get that 15 or 20 degrees of hip extension, where is the rest coming from? And it's lumbar extension. Lumbar extension is much easier for people to access than hip extension. So you kind of have to just be intentional, if you have an intention, <laughs> um, about where it's coming from. So where this would become in, why might you want to become intentional about like how you're doing a lunge? Is like, if you are like, if you do have kind of like, postural if if you have like a if you're tighter in some areas you've like kind of have like that the tighter hip flexors um and you go to just do a lunge so let's say you have tight hip flexors you have tight hamstrings you go to do a lunge and then like someone tells you to make your lunge longer it's likely that you're going to meet a limitation early and then you're going to try to borrow movement from other areas so you might try to turn out at the hips more which isn't necessarily wrong but like that's not going to be training the same muscles anymore so if you're still paying attention to like your hamstrings and your uh hip flexors but like you're sh putting all the stress on your adductors um you know you're not you're paying just, attention you're to not stretching the thing that you think you're stretching or lengthening the thing you think you're lengthening yeah and it's not important mm -hmm. to necessarily know the uh the name of what you're stretching like it, what's important is it feels like it's good. Um, and it feels good because like you're like connecting to your body and you can like, this, this seems like what my body should do rather than you're like, oh, I need to make this shape because your body will make the shape that it's kind of ready for in a lot of ways. I mean, I've had the experience of training lunges in like a backbending practice and it's like, oh, this is part of my backbending practice. I have to do a lunge. And, uh, and yeah, sure enough, I do feel my back because, and that's okay because it's backbending practice, right? Um, 
and you know, in reality, what I want is to feel my hip flexors lengthening and something happening in my legs and my hips as much as possible before my back has to do anything. Yeah. So I would, I kind of, I always feel like the, in like lunges where I'm trying to be really intentional about like the, the hip flexor stretch, it's always a combination of internal rotation, um, engagement, glute engagement to kind of press into the hip extension. And then also the front leg, uh, using like a hamstring, uh, hip flexor engagement. So kind of like both sides participating in squaring the hips off in like kind of the most global way. Can and kind then, of think of that front foot digging into the ground to like pull you forward a little bit. I think of it as a bicep curl sort of movement, which is funny because your hamstrings have biceps. Um, I think it's funny. Sean cracks himself up every time. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's great. Anyway, um, the... Yeah, that's squaring off. Uh, it's really helpful for kind of figuring out where that side of your leg is at. Um, but then from there, um, you know, functionally, if you want to go into like a full split, like a front back split, a Hanumanasana, pose in honor of Hanuman, um, <laughs> you're going to need to allow more things to move. So most splits are going to be uh, not square. And this is okay. Yeah. The I... engagement of squaring is enough to stabilize and keep it in the functional strong realm. Yeah. So there's a certain depth of lunge where in order to have your torso vertical, you will need spinal extension as well. Um, if you lay over your front leg, that's a different story. Um, but if you want your torso to be vertical, if your stance gets long enough, you're going to have some spinal extension. So it's not wrong or bad. Um, it's just kind of knowing, knowing that and making sure that you feel like you can support it. Um, there's different reasons why we might want to have a long lunge versus a short lunge or a high lunge versus a low lunge, you know, if you're using it for training versus as a stance to, to work from. Yeah. Generally speaking, you could think uh, taller stances that you have to like engage more in. Uh, these are going to be more like developing strength, especially if we like add um, load to it. So, if you, you know, a barbell squat is kind of like how we're not going to mention that in an episode of squats. <laughs> uh, or like a high lunge in yoga or I mean, I use high lunge flexibility training a lot just to like get a lot of heat going a lot of work built up in the legs yeah you can um, do barbell lunges as yeah. well um either with the bar in a front rack or a back rack or an overhead there's also the stability component in the back leg um, if the heel is off the ground you you just have to work harder to balance should we have included hip hinging in this episode we could have but I mean, that's we a didn't. whole other, whole other category. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about hip hinging. <laughs> oh, just you wait. <laughs> um, what else about lunges? Well, a squat, uh, the same way that a lunge can get progressively longer until it's on the floor as a front back split, a squat can get progressively wider. But as it gets wider, that's kind of why it becomes like a horse stance or a second position. 
you wind up uh, not being able to have your knees as bent because you've straightened them. And now you're in a middle split. And now you're in a middle split. So I think um, we come at flexibility training from kind of this angle, which is like there's a functional shape we can use and strengthen. Um, and if that is looking good and feeling really strong, then your deep ranges of motion are going to be safer. Um, you know, we, we tend to use a lot of lunge and squat shapes when we're training for splits yeah. around here. Yeah, Emily and I are, we're definitely, we're strong. <laughs> not, not the most flexible. We didn't. The, powerful in our ways. Shout out to, um, we didn't really mention it, but also super useful. Um, it's like side lunges. So that's yeah. your torso facing one direction. And like you can start in like a horse stance, but then you straighten one side and bend the other. Yeah. Or this could be like, um, like I, we didn't talk about in the hip hinge, well, the hip hinge plus the lunge, the asymmetry, the front backness of a lunge plus a hip hinge becomes this whole like half split pyramid fold sort of category. <laughs> I just felt like we needed Parjvatanasana. We mm -hmm. said one more. Contact <laughs> spot. You know, so all of these, um, like literally you can put your feet anywhere on the floor and have a combination of like bending or straightening your knees and have flexion extension of the hip joint <laughs> and have the torso at different angles to work different structures. Um, so there's a, lots of different ways to do it. Um, but you know, there is a also kind of a finite number. So you don't need to uh, do every single lunge every single day, every single squat every single day. Work your dragon squats, work your Cossack squats. Work your <laughs> but what's important is like, you know, you're touching upon the area, especially if like the what you do requires it. And I think that's kind of like, there's like movement for general health. Um, and like the amount that you need for general health isn't like, isn't a ton. Like it's, you should move. I would say in this area of lunge and squat, um, you should be able to get up and down from the floor with some ease and control. And that's kind of, it's actually a measure in the, in the medical field of kind of longevity and function um, is like how much assistance, how many points of contact do you need to get up and down from the floor? Yeah, so if you can get up and down from the floor with no hands, that is great. I'd also say like being able to get up and down off the floor with power is mm -hmm. a really good uh, marker of athleticism, even like just rolling forward and backwards, like and being able to get up through a squat is uh, really valuable. Um, but you know, as you, if you set larger goals, like if you set, if you want to do things like splits, if you want to do acrobatic things and flips, like these kind of require you to move through lunging and squatting shapes. So you're going to probably want to um, develop those. Otherwise, like when you meet like hard things in those practices, like you, you won't be as prepared for them. And I think um, also being as specific as possible. So like it's one thing to train a shape in a static way, but if you need to tumble, like you, you need some plyometrics, you need some explosivity in that. Um, so do your jump squats, do your lunge switches, um, or, you know, start pushing some weight in those shapes. Yeah. Um, final notes on like, how do you implement this information? Um, I always think it's important when you take on like a whole lot of new information that 
like you don't let it be overwhelming and you don't let it make you practice less than you already were. Because mm -hmm. sometimes like if you confuse yourself about like what should I be practicing, it becomes like analysis paralysis. Nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so doing like a little bit of something and being satisfied is like a really good practice. Like if you add like a tiny bit of new practice into what you're doing, it's completely fine to do that. And then like, just like kind of like let it simmer, like go back to your practice and like recover and see how it lands and see how it progresses. If you need help, the good news is now there's so much information out there because of over the last 20 years, like 10 years, I would say even more so, like squatting became popular again and now like um, yeah, and now way more people like care about squatting because of things like uh, CrossFit and Edo Portal methods and the whole like movement community, uh, functional movement, primal movement sort of things um, have become just like really popular and people have kind of moved away from like aesthetic fitness as much and moved more into I want to be able to do cool things with their bodies. So it's a great time to be a squatter. Um, we didn't even go into <laughs> you can uh, You can hit us up if you have any questions about it. Um, you know, quick plug, most of our mobility classes and a lot of our flexibility classes are going to move through, you know, all of these different shapes. Um, you know, I teach... We teach splits, so there's always going to be some lunges and squatting in the splits classes, our morning mobility class, our, um, our full body mobility. We, we try to touch on it, you know, a little bit every day. So. Yeah. And uh, if you're, and I actually do think this is a really big for your squat flexibility and lunge flexibility, especially if you're newer to the practice or you don't currently practice, just attending a lead practice whether it's in person or online um, is really great because like if you're new to this, you're probably not used to pacing yourself uh, through constant movement. So even though you might know the exercises, like you're probably going to kind of, it's, it's possible that you just might kind of hit spots where you don't know what to do next or you forget what you should be doing next. So being uh, led through a group class is a great way to just kind of stay accountable. Not that I have any vested interest in group classes. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining for another episode of the Acro Chats Extravaganza podcast. Mm -hmm. well, that's how we're ending it, Dan. <laughs> anyway, if you're ever Start in New York City. Okay. <laughs> Trash <Thank> it. <sighs> Come visit us. <laughs> Come visit us in New York. We're going to do a festival. April 8th to 10th. Hopefully we don't change the date. We'll have... Uh, Put it in the show notes, Michal, <laughs> if we do. Shout out Michal for doing production and show notes here. Um, Unsung hero of Acro Chats. Yeah, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace out, yo. Bye. Warrior Bridge is a leading provider of online instruction in handstands, flexibility, movement, and partner acrobatics. Classes are filmed daily from our downtown Manhattan studio and live streamed around the globe to meet you wherever you are in the world. Our classes offer students the unique opportunity to receive real-time feedback and answers from expert instructors and connect to a movement community that spans the globe. If you aren't able to attend class in real time, you can catch class replays at any time via our on-demand library. Head over to warriorbridge.com to learn more.